Uh, for us this morning, we are going to be in week four of the book of Titus. And as you saw in our little bumper video here, we've been talking about upright living in an upside down world. The idea that uh, Titus is a book that was written by the Apostle Paul to sort of get to the heart of the problems facing a church that was living in a pretty wild culture, which, which was the island of Crete. And it's so instructive to us today because we're living in a pretty wild culture. It's called America. And a lot of things that, uh, that we would maybe assume had once been right side up are sort of upside down now. And it gives us the opportunity to go back and to look and to see exactly what it is that God wants of us. We talked a few weeks ago about how if we know the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that according to the book of Titus, chapter 1, uh, verse 1, that godliness should result. That if we know who Jesus is, that that, that that should theoretically result in us being different, being not like the world, but being godly. Well, now this morning we're going to talk and take that concept one step further, that to know the truth is not just to have knowledge, but it is to have godliness, and to pursue godliness, in essence, leads to health, healthy living, being in a spot where we can go, hey, things are Things are right. Things are, are as they should be. A couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity, not that I wanted it, to take my son Landon to the doctor for an ear infection. Landon's about 11 months old, and the truth is, I had never taken my kid to the doctor when they were sick before. Gina does that. And you say, why does your wife do that? Because I do the shots, because I'm dad, and I can handle watching the kids cry, okay? So I can take my kids to the doctor, right, when it's time for an immunization, but uh, I had never taken my kid to the doctor when, when they were sick. Well, in my doctor's office, there is a side for the well visits and a side for the sick visits. And for the first time in my life, I had to register at the window and turn left to the sick visits. And so I sat down there feeling a bit odd, wondering if I was in some Petri dish of disease on the sick side of the office. But what happened next what, okay, there's that fly. This is every week. It's still in my hair. There is a $10 reward on the head of that horrible fly. $10, see a trustee after service. If, now, just don't try to find a dead fly in the corner of the room. It has to be that fly. See a trustee, they'll take care of you. Anyhow, so I'm sitting there with Landon. He has an ear infection. We find out a little bit later. And I'm waiting. And all of a sudden, you see all these other parents coming in to register their children. And their kids want to run over to my side of the doctor's office. Why? Because there's a fish tank. But as the kids run over to my side, the sick visit side, all the moms are like, no, honey, no, no, get back over here. And I'm like, uh, is it us? Is, is that us? And it happened like four times. Like kids begin to move to the cell. Oh, no, honey, don't go there. Don't go there. And I'm sitting there with my 11-month-old, and I'm like, he's got an ear infection, not the bubonic plague. I mean, this is okay that you have something to do with me. But, but you saw parents wanting to shuffle their kids to the healthy side of the doctor's office. <laughs> I never felt so bad in all my life. He was like this. Well, in essence, what Paul is going to try to get across to Titus today to instill in the churches on Crete is that we don't want people looking at our life and faith and going like this, looking at us as Christians and see us in this revulsive, revulsive place, if you will, of us sitting on the sick side of the doctor's office, 
not wanting anything to do with us. In fact, if we are truly Christian and we are truly living godly, Paul's going to say that that means that we're living healthy lifestyles that would be winsome, that people would want to emulate. And so we have a twofold thing going on here in the book of Titus today, chapter 2, 1 and following. Not only is the older generation of Christians supposed to be great role models for the younger generations of Christians so that they would want to come towards them, but also in the upside-down culture of the world of Crete, if Christians live according to the gospel, if Christians live differently than the world, and there seems to be health around them, people won't revile them. People won't look at them in revulsion. In fact, they'll be drawn towards them instead. Are you in Titus chapter 2? Let's read verses 1 through 8. But as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, working at home and kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. In you, Titus, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works in your teaching. Show integrity and dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Verse 1 says, but as for you, teach what is accordance with sound doctrine. When you see that word sound in the book of Titus, it comes from the Greek word that we have today in English for hygiene. Being clean, being, being someone who takes care of your physical body so that things don't get gross and stinky and decrepit. So brush your teeth, you know, wash with soap, things of that nature. In essence, this word hygiene that's being used here is used over and over and over again in the book of Titus to try to denote what it means to live life as a godly Christian. That we would live lives that look, smell, sound healthy. That they wouldn't look at us over on the sick side of the doctor's office and think, I don't want anything to do with that. But in essence, that people would look at Christians and go, eh, they look clean, they smell good, all right. Things are good with them. This is what Paul is calling the type people of Crete to. That we should look different than the world. That we should look hygienic. Now, there's three reasons that he gives for us to look this way in this passage. First, he says that the word of God may not be reviled. He says that if we as Christians don't live clean lives, if we don't live healthy-looking lives, nobody's going to want to come near us. We don't want the word of God to be reviled. Then a little bit later on in verse 8, it says, having nothing evil to say about us. So that when people look at the lives of the Christian person, they would have nothing evil to say about the lifestyles that we lead. And finally, we didn't read it today, but if you were to look down at the end of verse 10, you would see that if we behave properly in every arena of life, we adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. In essence, we become an ornament, if you will, on the teaching about Jesus. That's what happens when Christians take in and live a godly lifestyle that is sound and hygienic. We end up decorating, if you will, the doctrine of God, sprucing it up, if you will. And, and not that anything that 
that God has revealed to us and God has taught and God has said is going to be such that we can make it better. But in essence, Christian lives should be, should be lives that don't detract from the message of God. They should attract people to the message of God. So Paul is talking to the older men, the older women, the younger women, and the younger men and saying, folks, we must be model citizens. We must look and smell right to other people. And if you continue in the types of things that the world does regularly, you're not going to look and smell any different. People aren't going to want to be around you. How many of you have ever been in an argument with your spouse and your kids and somebody looks at you and just says, I know, I know, I know. In essence, what are they saying? I know the right way to behave. I just didn't do it. So you might look at the words of Titus chapter 2, 1 through 8, and go, I know, I know, I know. It's so stinking simple, Matt. Why do we have to preach something like this? And once again, we're laying out the reason for having to preach things like this, what it means to be a role model. Because we are supposed to be model citizens, because we are heirs of God, we are an adornment to the doctrine of God when we live godly lives. Oftentimes, when we see something like, older men ought to be sober-minded and dignified, and self-controlled. We see something like that, and we think, well, there's another rule, there's another law of Scripture. That, that's just something that, that, that I need to take in, and if I take those things in, my life will get better. And many times, if we do do the things that the gospel calls us to do, that God calls us to do, our lives do get better. True story. If you do what is healthy, think good things will happen to you many times. But Paul is reminding us by those three statements that he made, the statement about the word of God not being reviled, and and the statement that he made about having nothing evil to say about us, and the statement that he made about adorning the doctrine of God our Savior, that when we do right, it's not just so we can have our best life now. When we do what's good and healthy and clean and, and, and right, it's not just so that we can go, yeah, yeah, life is better. But Paul's reminding us in Titus, when we live different from what's standard operating practice in the world, when we live lives that are truly inspired by Jesus Christ, when that happens, it's missional. Our lives are missional. We're setting an example. We're being a role model. We're letting people see that it's safe to come in our direction. One of the amazing things that I, I, I learned after my father's passing away about a number of years ago was that I would have people that maybe had spent, the guy, buddies of mine who had spent the night at my house or they, they'd hung around at my house or, or they were my buddies growing up and, and, and they weren't church kids. They might have come with me to an outreach event or something in youth group or they might have shown up for boys club or something but they weren't church kids. And after my dad passed, I would, I would see these people, whether it be in a store or a restaurant, or maybe they sent their condolences, and they would say things like, boy, your dad, he was just a great guy. He was just a good man. And I'd think, how did you know? You, you never went to church. You never saw him in church world. 
You never heard him preach, and, and you never saw him discipline me. You don't know who my dad is. But they would say that over and over again. What a good guy. What a great guy. What a good man. And I remember thinking at that moment that my dad was different. He was different. And people didn't have to come to church and hear him preach or see him act, act the pastor, if you will, to be attracted to what he had going on. He was a role model for a lot of guys who maybe didn't have a kind or a nice or a good father. Boy, if God could do that in each one of us, that our epitaph, the thing that people remembered us for, was just that, boy, there was something right about that person. We are to be attractive to the world. We aren't to be sitting on the sick side of the waiting room. We are to be on the well-visit side waiting to share with other people about the goodness of God. That's why, instead of looking at this passage going, I know, I know, I know this morning, I'm going to invite you for the next 15 to 20 minutes to listen with open ears and a soft heart to see if God may be saying something to you. Paul talks first to the adult men. He says, hey, to the older guys, the guys who have been around a while, I have some things to say to you. Be sober-minded, be dignified, be self-controlled, I want you to lead in faith, I want you to lead in love, and I want you to lead in steadfastness. I was trying to think about what this all means, and the best way to sort of sum it up is to leave boyhood behind. To be sober-minded and dignified and self-controlled is to leave boyhood behind. And if you want to know what I mean by that, imagine for just a moment that we all left the church today, and we just left the boys in one room, you know, the, the K through 6th grade boys in one room, and then we left the K through 6th grade girls in another room. Which room would you like to come back to after three hours? You'd want to come back to the K through 6th grade girls' room because God has blessed women with sense from being babes. Men, on the other hand, are a different breed. I was thinking about my boyhood and some of the things that we thought were a really great idea that weren't such great ideas. We once taped one of the neighbor boys into a trash can and rolled him down the street <laughs> and listened to him go, up, 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 over and over again. I won't tell you who, because many of you know this lady, but we once went to the neighbor lady's yard and we started about 20 yards apart and we began to dig down into her yard seeing if we could make the tunnels meet. <laughs> and we'd been at this for like a week or two when all of a sudden the neighbor lady came out and said, oh, what are you kids doing to my yard? I mean, we, had, we, we were down seven, eight feet, weren't we, AJ? It was pretty good. And I won't even tell you things that we had litigation threatened for. But, and that's true. So I... Boys are not sensible. <laughs> Boys do whatever just right in front of them that just, you know, uh, they want to do in the moment. Whether it be to play video games for 18 hours on end on a Saturday, or just go out and get, get into all types of trouble, light things on fire, and use accelerants wherever they can. Boys are not sensible. Now, you might have a sensible boy, I understand. There's always outliers. But... <laughs> I didn't even mean that to be funny. But anyhow, uh, 
Boys do dumb things. They say dumb things. Boys are mean. They say dumb things. They can't self-regulate. And in essence, Paul is looking at men and saying, guys, be men. Don't be boys anymore. I need you to be sober-minded. Or in some of your Bibles, it says temperate. He says, in essence, guys, I I want you to think about what you're doing before you do it or before you continue in it. Because boyhood and and being not temperate or not sober-minded is to get into activities and get started on things and really not think about what we're doing. And then to end up getting in some trouble because we really weren't thinking about what we were doing in that thing. Now, uh, there, there's guys that, 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 that I know that their entire life is sports. They watched three football games yesterday. They will watch three football games today, plus the Cavaliers game. They, they will wait all week and listen to sports talk all week long, and their two hobbies are to play, or the three hobbies are to play in softball leagues, rec league basketball, and go golfing, and their entire life is, is wrapped up in sports. I know guys that their entire lives are wrapped up in their hobbies. They're not sober-minded towards them. They're interested in being out in their wood shop or out creating what they create or out working in their yard, and they'll do that at nauseum, but they won't think about all that time investment and what they're really doing with all that, and they're neglecting important things. There are guys who get into work abuse. They just think, I'm designed to work, and so I'm going to work, and I'm going to work, and I'm going to work, and I'm going to work to the neglect of my family. And many of the hobbies that guys engage in today aren't even outside the home any longer or being in the workshop, but it's I'm going to, you know, just surf the web for hours upon hours, or I'm going to play my video games for hours upon hours, or, or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to work on my computers for hours upon hours. And those are the good things that men can lose themselves in. Those are the good things. There's a lot of other nefarious things that men can lose themselves in. Men can lose themselves in, in pornography. Men can lose themselves in, in, in substance abuse. Men can lose themselves in all types of, of nefarious things as well. And what Paul is trying to tell Titus to relay to these churches on Crete, to the older guys, is guys, think about what you're doing. Think about where it leads, and don't let anything take you captive but the Lord. Think. Be sober-minded. Think about what you're doing. Think about what, what, how you're spending your time. Think about, you know what, I could do this, but if I do this, it's going to lead here. That's part of becoming a man as opposed to being a boy. Don't, did, did you notice in this passage when you look down at the young men, they only say one thing to the young men? Lots to the older men, lots to the older women, lots to the younger women, to the young men. Just be self-controlled, please. Verse six, one thing, please, just think. Whatever you do, think before you act. Paul breaks that down for the older men into these three categories. First, be temperate, be sober-minded. Don't let anything take you captive but the Lord. More on that in a second. But then be dignified. Be someone that is, is worth being emulated. Don't desire to be emulated, because if you desire to be emulated, you'll make a fool of yourself wanting people to think you're awesome. 
but live your life in such a way that somebody could look at you and go, wow, there's a role model. And that's how this word worked in the Greek language. This dignified word is, is the word for looking up to somebody. Men don't say embarrassing things, do embarrassing things, dress in embarrassing ways. Men should be dignified, Paul says. Why? Why are we focusing on, on something like dignified? Because once again, we don't want people to revile the word of God. Once again, we want to be an adornment to the doctrine of God. And, and once again, we don't want to have anybody have anything evil to say about us. Dignified means caring about how we come across to others. Boys don't care about how they come across. Boys will just fight to get whatever they want in the moment. Men need to be of a different breed if they know the Lord. And then finally, men, be sensible. Be sensible. This is that word that we talked about two weeks ago that is sober-minded. Not sober-minded, forgive me. Of a balanced mind. This is the word that we talked about. You don't, you're able to hear from other people. You don't just go to extremes in your opinions. You don't just always have to share about the things that you think are right or that you think are great. You need to listen to all and be able to take in and make sound judgment. Don't go to extremes. Don't get into camps. Listen to all. Be able to communicate with people effectively. Have a balance in your mind where it doesn't have to be your way or the highway. Every man in the room says, I am exactly that, Pastor Matt. I am sensible. I do have a balance of mind. Thank you for reminding me of my godly heritage and mandom. Well, it's not true. That's not your godly heritage. We'll talk about the godly heritage of women in just a minute. Men, you're not born sensible. You're just not. You're not born with a balance of mind. You're born to think that you should have an opinion, have a take, hold it strongly, and make everybody else believe it. And that's not sensible. Maybe you've heard this for, for some of you older guys, maybe from your wife or your kids, I just can't talk to dad. You ever heard that statement? I can talk to mom, but I just can't talk to dad. Because dad's got to get his opinion across. He's got to tell it the way it is. He's got to make sure everybody knows exactly what's what. And in essence, it drives his children away, and they just don't want to have anything to do with dad. Yeah, they might come home for a holiday. They might play some foosball. But dad and kids don't have any relationship anymore because dad's been too busy spouting his opinions and telling everybody what's what all the time. Having a balance of mind is being able to self-regulate what your mind does and what your words do with what your mind does. But Paul then turns it very positive and says, I want you men to lead in godliness. I want you to lead in faith and acts of love and to be steadfast. In essence, men, you should be living in such a way that people know you know God and that you love him. Lead in faith that you're someone who actually knows and enjoys the word of God. That when life throws stuff at you, you actually pray and ask the Lord for his leading. That, that you make being in church a priority for your family. That you do the things that, that have the appearance of being godly. Now you say, Matt, Pastor Matt, there's stuff all over the Bible about 
people having the appearance of godliness but not really being godly. And, and, and I, I get that completely. But instead of being somebody that's just taken captive but what, by whatever the world has to offer you, men, Paul is inviting us to be taken captive by God. Leading in faith. Leading in the life of faith. Acting Christian. What a novel concept for us guys. Not letting other people pursue Christianity for us, but, but leading folks in this thing called faith, listening to the Lord, praying, making judgments based upon the scriptures, lead in faith. He says lead in love, lead in love, lead in love. Don't expect the world to serve you, you serve the world. You make sure that the needs of those around you are taken care of. I tell guys all the time who have wives and children, I, I, I say, you know what? Ephesians 5 tells us that we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself as a fragrant offering for her. Jesus laid down his life so that we could be. He served and served and served and served. Jesus put it this way. The Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I tell guys all the time in counseling on a regular basis, guys, if you really want to lead and love in your home, let this be your mantra. Dad came home not to be served, but to serve. Dad came home not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for his family. As a ransom for his family. You're not supposed to just let other people love you and take care of you and look after you. Being a godly man says that you are aggressively and assertively trying to love those around you. That's what being a godly man is all about. You're not looking to live the good life. You're looking to give the good life to others. You're not looking to get. You're looking to give. That's what being somebody who leads in love is all about. Now, the final thing that Paul says to the older guys is interesting. He says, be steadfast. Isn't faith, love, supposed to be accompanied by hope? Isn't that the Pauline triad, if you will, faith, hope, and love? But instead, he looks at the men on Crete, and this is so apropos for the men in America today, and says, I need you to lead in faith, I need you to lead in love, and I need you to be steadfast. Guys, I need you to do what's right, even when it's hard. I need you to be dependable even when it's not easy to be dependable. I need you to do the right thing and I need you to be there when you say you're going to be there. To give when you say you're going to give. To do the right thing when your children and your wives are watching and even more to do the right thing when your children and your wives aren't watching. I need you to be steadfast in your belief in God. I need you to, I, I need you to do the right thing even when it's hard, even when it feels like the walls of your life are being battered against. Continue to serve, continue to have faith, and don't, like any, don't let anything take you captive but the Lord. The next generation is watching us, men. The next generation is watching us. And if they only see worldly men who go to church, they're not gonna go to church. They're not gonna be in church. Because there is nothing winsome about men who go to church but look like the world. 
In fact, being a man who goes to church but lives like the world is like sitting on the sick side of the waiting room. Your kids, your family members, your extended family and your friends are going to look at Christianity and say, I want nothing to do with that. See, there's a seriousness to what Paul's preaching here this morning in this book of Titus. He's not just saying, hey, try to be dignified. He's saying, look, people are going to revile the Lord if we're not making sure that the Lord is central in our lives. People need to know that we love Jesus, that we serve him, and that we give him our all. That we give him our all. We need to be role models. We need to be role models. To the older women, Paul says, I want you to do this. I want you, and you can go back to verse 3 to sort of get your bearings again with me. I want you to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. And they are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure and working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. I love the first thing that Paul says to women. He says, you should embrace reverence. The word in the Greek that's used there by Paul is a word that's only used one time in the entire New Testament. And its roots are in service to the temple. You should act or embrace the idea that you're in church all the time in your life. That Ladies, the way that you conduct yourselves with others is the way that you should conduct yourselves as if you were in the temple or church. That your kindness and your care and the way that you speak and the upright way in which you act when you are in church should be reflected when you're at home, when you're out with your girlfriends, when you're at work. That's how you should live, in a reverend way. And the two ways that you can do this, according to Paul, is first to avoid slander, to avoid talking bad about other people, to avoid talking about other people pretty much in general, because this is a trap that ladies can fall into. Now, Paul is using generalizations, right? Paul is using generalizations. Sometimes you need to do that when trying to address large groups of people. Not every man is undignified and unsensible. You might have a very dignified and sensible young man in your home. And not every woman is a slave to slander. That's not what we're trying to get at when we read the scriptures. If you read the scriptures that way and always are looking to take offense, well, then you'll never let the scriptures speak to you. But it is common, if you will, for women to compare their lives to other women's lives and then to comment upon those other women's lives. Now, I hate preaching to women because I'm a man, and I'm scared of you. <laughs> but if it is true, I, I need some help here, if it is true that it is common for ladies to sometimes compare their lives to other ladies and then comment upon the lives of other ladies, if that is true, can I get an amen from the women? Amen. Oh, that was weak. <laughs> that was weak. No, I'm, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. If you find yourself needing to comment upon the lives of other women and other people and their kids and their husband and their life, and it's slander. 
It's not reverend behavior. It's not saying that God's at the center of your life. It's saying that something else is at the center of your life. Do you know that the word for slander and the word for devil in the Greek is the same word? Because the devil is the, how many of you ever heard, the accuser of the brethren? The word for slander and the word for devil are the exact same word, diabolos. Because the devil is in, in a constant perpetual state of wanting God to judge you. He wants God to come down hard on you and send you to hell. He wants God to see you in all your sin and all your wrong and all your wrongdoing and be done with you. That's what the devil wants for each and every one of us. Did you know that? Did you know that? But when we become judges with evil in our hearts and have the need for others to know the wrong going on in somebody else's life, we're joining the enemy in his work. Do you see why that's the opposite of reverend? Reverend is to speak well, to speak kind, to be winsome in our speech about others, not to talk about other people. The enemy will never stop talking about us until God defeats him at the end of time. But we as Christians must not talk about others lest we join him in his work. The second thing he says to women is don't be slaves to wine. Ladies, don't let alcohol become your escape in life. Don't let that happen. It's a slippery slope and it's a dangerous place to be. And you know what, people are watching. People are watching. Your kids are watching. Your neighbors are watching. And in the age of social media, more people are watching than ever. And, and, and it's real easy for people to, to, to look at you and go, well, we know where their priorities are. They, they like to drink and that's what makes them happy and, and that's, what's, that's what's them. And Paul's saying, don't get into that, ladies. Don't do it. Don't get into that. It's a slippery slope. The Lord is our escape. He's our safe and strong tower. And you know what? I know life is tough, and I know life is stressful, and I know there's a lot going on, and I know there's a lot of bad things that happen to people. And I also know that alcohol can make you feel better and loosen you up. And, and you think, well, great. Alcohol can make me feel better and it can loosen me up, but very quickly it becomes a very slippery slope. Paul says we need to avoid that if we're going to be reverent and think and have our minds fixed upon what God is fixed on. Wasn't it another place in Scripture that says don't be drunk with wine but filled with the Spirit? That there's a dichotomy between escaping, if you will, and coping with life through alcohol and living life to the fullest because you're led by the Spirit of God and he gives you your hope and your satisfaction. Now the rest of what is said to the older women is to teach the younger women what is good. Teach them what is good, it says at the end of verse three. Train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, to be pure, working at home, kind and submissive to your own husband. Now, if you read that and, and you're from a particular bent of thinking, you might be thinking, oh, there goes the Bible again. Teaching women to shut their mouths, clean the house, take care of their kids and their husband, and in essence be the scullery maid. Now, if you are of a particular bent, that's how you would read this. But I want to encourage you that the Apostle Paul was not in conversation with late 20th century feminism. He, he had no concept of it. So to put Paul in conversation with late 20th century feminist movement is really a hard thing to do. A really a hard thing to do. And, and I don't want to do that this morning. 
I just want to remind us that Paul is trying to encourage people to live in health, to live hygienically. And for women to attend to the things that cry out for their attention is not evil. Fearlessly guarding and keeping your home, ladies, as a place of safety, warmth, and provision for your family is not a weakness, it's a strength. I'm going to say that again. Keeping your home, fearlessly guarding it as a place of safety, warmth, and provision for your family is not a weakness, it's a strength. God has given, ladies, it's going to come up on the screen, the gift of nurture. It is a gift that men don't have. Ladies, leave your multiple children alone with your husband for a weekend and see that they do not have the gift of nurture. We don't have it. Women do. Women do. Women have the ability to look after and take care of people in ways that men just miss. Have you ever had your husband walk into a room read it completely wrong, and tell jokes to a woman who's near tears? And you think, what an idiot he is. She is near tears. She looked like somebody just ran over her cat. And he doesn't see that. But you see it. You see it. Do you know that studies show that women consistently score higher than men on seeing nonverbal cues and unspoken messages in the people around them? All Paul is arguing for is biology and anthropology here. To say that to want to take care of other people is not a weakness, it's a strength. And if you get into a mode where you are beginning to resent taking care of others, you're going to end up exacerbating your unhappiness, not helping it. Not helping it. If you get in a mode where you are resentful of looking after and taking care of others, you will not help that. You will only hurt it by moving back and moving away from being that caretaker that God designed you to be. Now, anybody can look at this passage and look at the phrase working at home and, and make some kind of big deal out of women's places in the home. Well, you know what? Uh, ridiculous. Ridiculous. The Proverbs 31 woman has gainful employ. Have you ever read it? All right? Now, when we read the Bible, we have to read with wisdom. And it's not pure mimicry. If we're purely mimicking what we see in Scripture or what we see people in Scripture doing, Lord knows what we'd be doing. I, I, I've joked with Rochelle. Rochelle, you're here this morning. Your, your, your joke used to be, I'm just going to live in the ditch for Jesus, right? Because that's, in essence, what, what Jesus and the disciples were doing, right? They were sleeping outside, walking around, preaching to people every day. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me to like four other people. But are any of you sleeping in the ditch? No, the Bible's not about pure mimicry, okay? But it is about looking at principles and saying, does this principle have something to say to me? And to look after your den, to take care of your home, to make it a place of warmth and safety and provision for your husband and your children, that is not a weakness. It's a strength. And Paul says, ladies, older ladies, make sure that you encourage the younger ladies in this. Because in essence, when your home is right, there's a peace that comes upon you. There's a peace that comes upon you. Paul also encourages the ladies to have a balance of mind. Now you say, what does that mean for a woman? 
and I'm a man, I don't know. Truly, I researched and researched this this week, and I don't know what balance of mind looks like for a woman. I barely know what it looks like for a man. So I will say this. Thank God that Paul says older women teach the younger women to have a balance of mind. If I, as your pastor, am trying to tell you about how your mind works, we're in deep trouble, ladies. That's why I was looking for an amen earlier, because it scares me to preach to you. I, with fear and trepidation, I come before you and preach about women. But I tell you, there's an onus that's put on the women who have been there and done that to encourage and look after the women who are doing it right now. Who are doing it right now. Paul also says that women should live in purity. Well, shouldn't he be writing that to the men? Aren't men the one who have trouble in the purity department? And the truth is, I believe that when he talks about being sober-minded and not letting anything take you captive, that he's talking to the men about purity. Why does he say it to the women? Because women can be impure in a different type of way. Women can be impure in an emotional way. Engage in emotional affairs. Begin to look for something in other men that they're not finding in their husbands. And in the modern era, it's even scarier because of the advent of television and novels and all of these things. Women can sometimes attach themselves emotionally to men that they've never even seen or met. And they're looking for their husband to, to match up to this dude from the novel or the TV show. And it's driving a wedge between them. So yes, women can live in purity too. Don't give yourself emotionally to any other man. But even one step further, don't give yourself emotionally to, to any other man who has been created by a writer or by Hollywood. It'll drive a wedge between you and your husband. He can't keep up with that dude. Live in purity. Be hard at work and be kind. These are the words that Paul has that the older women should teach the younger women. With all of that said this morning, I have a challenge for many of you this morning. For those of you who have been there and done that, for those of you who are a little older, and I'm not going to put an age on it, but could you take somebody under your wing in the next month? Could you look for somebody who's maybe a little younger in the faith and who has not been there and done that and say, hey, what's going on in your life? I'm interested. And maybe if, if you get the chance to do that a couple of times, you'll get to share some good, sound doctrine and teaching and healthy living with a young person. It's on the older generation to pour into the younger generation, according to Titus chapter 2. Now you may say, I've got too many people to pour into already, Pastor Matt. I've got my adult kids. I've got my teenage kids. I don't have one more person that I can pour into. When I'm done raising my own, maybe I'll help to raise some others. Well, I encourage you today, Paul is trying to get role models going in the church. He's trying to, he's trying to encourage folks who have been there and done that to take people under their wing. So maybe next time you go out with your daughter's woman who's been there and done that, maybe you can invite one of their friends who doesn't have a real strong Christian role model. You can all go out together. Guys, maybe next time you, 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 you go out for coffee with your sons, you can invite one of their buddies or one of the neighborhood guys to join you. 
and direct the conversation towards the things of the Lord. You don't have to neglect your own children and your own charges in order to take more people under your wing, but I want to challenge you, folks who have been there and done that, we're not going to put an age on it, because you have the mindset to where, you know what, I have been through a lot of stuff in my life, and I, 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 don't, I haven't done it all right, but I, I, I do, I, I have been refined by the Lord over the course of these years, so I'm going to pour into somebody else. And I'm going to do that intentionally. It's what Paul is calling for here. Would you intentionally pour into somebody else? We have a dual mission according to Titus chapter 2. And the dual mission is this. We have the next generation of kids and Christians who are coming up under us that we have the opportunity to pour into. And if we don't model godliness and goodness and balance of life to them, they are going to want to have nothing to do with the church or the Lord. It's a heavy responsibility, but it's the right one. And we also have a world that's looking today for some type of health, some type of sound behavior, something that's upright in an upside-down world. And if they don't see it within the people of God, they will not see it anywhere, I assure you. Because we have learned the truth, and the truth leads to godliness. Truth leads to godliness. And godliness leads to healthy living. It's a serious matter, folks. It's not just about saying I'm a Christian. It's about living as though you know the one who defeated sin and death. It's not just about being in church. It's about living in such a way that your kids, your grandkids, your neighbors, and your coworkers say, I don't know what that is, but that is upright. That's healthy. That's goodness. Paul needed that for the churches on Crete. We need that for our church today. 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 The world is crying out for role models. Let us take up that responsibility. Jesus took it up for us. Now in Jesus' name, let us take it up for others. Would you bow your heads with me today?